This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, as always, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Visa, Indeed, Regents Field, and Bet Online. Go check all of them out. We're very appreciative that they are our sponsors for this episode and every episode this week. So we're just going to have a mailbag edition of the podcast. I know we did it on Tuesday last week. Wanted to bump it to Wednesday this week because we did have the interview with Jeff Perlman Yesterday, hopefully you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed talking with him. And we're going to try to have interviews with different types of people throughout the rest of the season. Sometimes, obviously, they'll be football-related. Other times, they may not be lining, trying to line one up for next week that I'm pretty excited about, that I've been trying to get on for a while as well. And hopefully, you'll enjoy that. So, with all that said, we're just going to jump right into the mailbag because... There are a ton of questions from you. And once again, I'm very grateful that you have questions to ask. And if you ever want to ask a question for a future mailbag, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Just use the hashtag Rothshow or just tap, you know, at me. Same thing on Instagram and on Facebook. Shoot me a note at Michael Rothstein Journalist. So we'll start with Big Roo, who's at RooBoy12974. He says, hi, Michael, time to call Urban Meyer, question mark. Who other than the Fords could look for front office replacements? So, okay, Rue, I'm not really sure what you meant by the second question. And I'm just going to say this, and I know I've said it a couple of shows ago as well. But, you know, talking about somebody's job and losing jobs is not fun. It's not something I particularly enjoy doing, even if the performance on the field warrants it. And the performance on the field absolutely warrants this discussion. It's just not going well for Matt Patricia or the Lions. But realize that there are families that are going to be affected here. Kids, wives that have nothing to do with any of this. And low-level staffers who don't make the millions of dollars that Bob Quinn or Matt Patricia make that are going to be severely affected by any moves that may or may not come over the next few months. So just getting that out there right at the top, and I'll probably say that every mailbag podcast we do from now until there's potentially a change if things keep going the way they're going. So to answer your two questions, the first question is at time to call Urban Meyer. If the Lions do look to make a change, I don't see why it wouldn't hurt. I mean, 
Listen, they've gotten offensive, defensive, offensive, defensive, offensive, defensive, experienced coach, new coach, experienced coach, new coach, experienced coach, new coach for a while now. I don't see why it would hurt to maybe look at the college coach route, especially when you look at the NFL game now, especially offensively, and you see where the trend is going. Look at this week's opponent, Arizona. They hired a coach that was essentially fired at Texas Tech and Cliff Kingsbury, and Made him an NFL head coach. and It's going well. Matt Rule from Baylor just got hired in Carolina. We'll see how that goes. So Urban Meyer, listen, he's had a ton of success anywhere he goes. Do I know if he wants to go the NFL route? I have no idea. But I don't think it hurts to make that call, especially since Urban Meyer is not coaching right now. He's a guy that you can talk to essentially right away if you wanted to and probably get away with it on the DL if you really, really wanted to. And you just kind of go from there. So if there is a change, would Urban Meyer be someone that would make sense to at least reach out to? Sure, why not? Because I think if you're Sheila Ford Hamp, you're casting a wide net at this point. And the other question, who other than the Fords could look for front office replacements? Well, I think it would start with Sheila Ford Hamp and Rod Wood trying to figure that out. My guess is that they would seek out some sort of advice, some sort of help from the outside, whether that's a consultant, whether that's, again, somebody from the NFL. But I think that you'll see them handle it. Sheila Ford Hamp, to me, strikes me as very sharp, knows what she's doing, does her research, is very prepared, knows who she wants, and goes after that person. How do I know this? Well, you'll read about it today. Uh, on ESPN.com is I have a story coming out about Sheila Ford Hamp that I've been working on for a couple of months. And I think you'll learn something about her in that story. And we can talk about that story a bit more tomorrow. But I think you'll learn some stuff about her in that story that will help kind of give you more of an idea of who she is as an owner and kind of what things could happen if she does decide to make a change. All happy teams are alike. Who's at all happy teams? I, I don't know what question to ask you. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay, all happy teams. If you can't tell, I have a little bit of a cold. Uh, allergies usually come and hit me around this time of year. And that is no different this year, unfortunately. So uh, probably for the next few episodes, next few weeks, I'll definitely maybe sound a little bit nasally a little bit congested but other than that i'm doing pretty well uh, i'm actually pretty excited my my dad's supposed to come in here later this week and it might be the last time i see him until spring because we both live in northern states and we'll see what happens but yeah i'm doing all right all things considered motown man who's at lots of luke asks too early to tank for trevor trade stafford so it's going to be this type of podcast just all these speculative questions and i get it i totally get it so As far as that goes, I think it's probably a little bit too early to make real speculation on either tanking for Trevor Lawrence or trading Matthew Stafford because, A, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with this regime, and B, we don't know what, if there is a regime change, what they would want to do as a new regime when it comes to Matthew Stafford, who's still under contract for two more seasons after this year. 
Matthew Stafford's still a good quarterback. I don't think there's any question about that. However, it might be best for both parties, if this season does not go well, to consider looking at a mutual split, whether that's a trade, whether that's whatever it is. I think you try and figure that out. To me, the trade would be the most palatable option if you're the Lions at that point, but can you find someone to trade with? If they end up in a position to take Trevor Lawrence, which would mean that they are the number one or number two picks in the draft, I think you take Trevor Lawrence or even Justin Fields at that point. Those are by far the best prospects. And I think after passing on Tua last year, which I still think was the right move, I think you at this point you would probably see them take a quarterback, especially if, because if you are that high, chances are you're probably seeing massive overhauls and massive changes and frankly, a massive rebuild, very similar to probably what you're looking at at that point to when the two regimes took over now with Mayhew and with Tom Lawand and with Jim Schwartz when they basically started to have to rebuild after the 0-16 season. I think if you end up, if you're the Lions with the number one or number two pick in the draft, you're probably looking at something like that. Again, that's just my opinion. Finn of Funk asks, who's at pod trolling, asks, Ms. Hamp was most interested in the statistics. What do her statisticians project for Matt Patricia, Bob Quinn, and the Lions? That's a good question. And from what he is getting at, or she is getting at here, is during Sheila Ford Hamp's introductory press conference, she talked at least a little bit about wanting to learn about football analytics. She felt like it could help her do her job better. She wanted to get to know the younger members of her staff. Now, Obviously, a little bit tougher to do during a global pandemic when you can't really be in the building all that often. But I think the fact that she is interested in football analytics is a very good sign. And something tells me that if she's making, if she ends up making decisions that she may end up making, that she will use every tool available to her in order to try and make the correct decision. The one thing I'm positive about with Sheila Fordham is that she absolutely wants to win and she's going to do everything possible to do that. And sure, you've heard that before, but I, I look at her history and I look at what she's done in the past, not as the Lions vice chair and owner for all of two and a half months, but I'm talking about her entire life. And she has shown the ability to do some of those things. So I think that the question will be, will not carry over to the Lions? And it'll just remain to be seen. Zach Golick, who's at Zach Golick, asks, In your opinion, does Matt Patricia truly believe he has to coach better as all coaches tell the media after losses? Or does Matt Patricia believe he still doesn't have the right pieces players are fa- slash players are failing him? His inability to adjust from repeated failures suggests the latter. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I would say that the Matt Patricia I saw after week two was to me a little bit different than the Matt Patricia after week one. I think the Matt Patricia after week one was fiery, was still, I mean, you know, we talked about it last week on the podcast with his Patriots quote, which was a really just not the best quote that he could have given in that situation. Compared to last week after the Packers lost, where it seemed like he was very resigned, very you know, I don't want to use the word despondent because that's not right. It just seemed like he was different demeanor-wise. Now, sure, last second loss versus a 21-point drubbing where your team was outplayed the 
the majority of the game are two different things. But I think that, yeah, I think he believes that he does have to actually coach better because the record tells him that. And the thing is, it's not like there, at least so far as we know, there's not a massive adversarial situation between the general manager and the head coach. They know each other very well. They go back decades. So to me, I think Matt Patricia has really looked at himself and does realize that he needs to coach better, that he needs to coach a little bit differently. And he has, to his credit, made some of those strides in some ways. Now, has that shown to results on the field? No, it hasn't to this point. And we don't know whether it ever will, at least in Detroit at this point, because of what we've seen so far. So I think he probably realizes he needs to coach better. Do I think that he totally believes it's just his coaching? No, but no coach is going to believe that. And I, I don't think he should because I think some of it is on the players. Matt Patricia is not the one actually out there having Jared Davis struggle mightily. Sure, he's putting Jared Davis out there, but he's not the one actually having those problems in play-to-play like Jared Davis. He's not throwing the pick six that Matthew Stafford threw. He's not committing the penalties that Odea Boucher and Will Harris committed. Yes, he's putting those players out there, and that's partially on him, but there is a lot of blame to go around, and I think it's blame that should go basically everywhere at this point because that's just the reality of all of it. Brent Tobisic, who's at Toby Checkers, asks, if you made an all-NFL Wasted Careers team, how many would be Lions? At least Barry Sanders, Megatron, and Stafford. That's actually a really good question. Um, I would even be willing to throw Herman Moore on there. I think Herman Moore had a very good career. Uh, Probably not all-time, like if you're going to look around the NFL, but I mean... Kermit Moore was a really good, like, haul of very good receiver for a long time. And so to me, he might end up on that list as well. Um, You know, I I think there are a lot of guys that, you know, I want to say wasted careers because I think that they got something out of it. Barry got to the Hall of Fame and is top five running back all time. Calvin Johnson's almost should be in the Hall of Fame perhaps as early as this year. We'll see about Matthew Stafford because I think that a lot of what could happen there for him has yet to be written. Right now, I don't think I would put him in the Hall of Fame, but you go somewhere else or you stick here and you end up actually winning some, then I think you've got a shot. But yeah, I would say those three guys would be heavily looked at on any team. Certainly, Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, I think, would be on that from a winning perspective. I don't know who's quarterbacking that team. It could end up being... Matthew Stafford. I think there are some other guys throughout the course of history that you can maybe make that argument for. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I did a story on kind of the best quarterback to never win a playoff game. And there were some pretty well-known names in there, but, uh, you know, Stafford, I think would be on that list. Other than that, yeah, to me, Herman Moore would be probably that next name that would stand out. I'm trying to think defensively, who could say that? I mean, Indomitian Sue's career with the Lions was dominant, and he didn't really do all that much, obviously, while he was here, but he's since gone on, and, you know, he made a Super Bowl with the Rams, so I, I think that he's won and enough other places, potentially. Another name I would look at would be Lem Barney, the Hall of Fame corner for the Lions. 
Len Barney made one playoff appearance during his time in Detroit. You could even argue maybe Mel Farr in that category as well, but I would definitely put Len Barney on any sort of team when you look at from, again, a winning perspective because Lem was a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro. He had a very good career. But from a winning perspective, then I think you can absolutely say Lem Barney is definitely on that list as well. So there's another defensive name for you that really stands out to me. So there's a few that you could possibly really say when it comes to that question. I really like that question. Good job, Brent. I'll take one more question here before... We get to the break. Nick Cameron, who's at Nick Cameron, asks, As I contemplate leaving the Lions as a fan after 25 years of loving them, which team should I consider rooting for? I can't pick a team for you, Nick. Uh, I really can't. Uh, I would say watch some football. Decide what type of football you like and, and go root for that team. You know, if, if you like kind of exciting dual-threat quarterbacks, I think Seattle and Baltimore and the Lions opponent this week Arizona is maybe the team for you. If you like explosive kind of passing offenses, then Kansas City is a team you should probably look at along with Green Bay. Although that probably would be hard for you as a Lions fan uh, or a recently potentially departed Lions fan. Defensively, I would again look at Baltimore. I would look at Seattle. I would look at Pittsburgh as historically the good defensive teams. I would look at pre-injuries to their entire defensive line. San Francisco as another team in that vein. So I think you could have options and you just kind of make decisions and go from there. Um, I, I think, And I think, by the way, you're not alone. I think there are a lot of probably fans that are wondering either that or can they maybe, you know, just not pay as much attention. I have some friends that are Lions fans, that they talk about being either Lions free or they're like, I didn't watch the game. I maybe caught five minutes of it while I was home and I'm much better off for it. And I I said this on a podcast, it was either last week or two weeks ago, that if something doesn't bring you joy anymore, whatever it is, whether it's following a sports team or going for runs, although that's more of a health thing or, or reading a book or whatever it is, if something's not bringing you joy, why do it? Life's too short. I think we've all seen that over the last year. Why do it if it doesn't bring you joy? So that's kind of my opinion and take on that. But I think it just depends on what type of football you like and what you want to see, Nick. That would be my advice to you. And we'll be back right after this break with more from the Michael Rothstein Show. Mailbag edition. Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether there are corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. And listen, even though sports had a break, your business didn't. 
You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Now, back to our show. Welcome back to the show. Again, I want to thank you all for all of your questions. They've been really good so far. Hopefully, you've enjoyed some of it. Corey, who's at W3GoBlue, asks, as a defensive coordinator, does Corey Unland decide who is on the field during the game? And are we also seeing first-year play-calling struggles? Um, I'm actually not totally sure on the first question. I think that's a, a combination of decisions between Matt Patricia, Corey Unland, and probably even some of the positional coaches. And that, to me, I think is what you're seeing there as far as who is on the field. And Listen, we got into it a little bit yesterday. Going to get into it probably again. The Will Harris-Tracy Walker conundrum is one that just still doesn't make any sense to me. I've asked Corey Udlin about it. I've asked Matt Patricia about it. It just doesn't make any sense why Tracy Walker would be playing fewer snaps. They can say packages all they want, but at the same time, you want your good players on the field. And everything I've seen objectively tells me Tracy Walker is a better player than Will Harris. That's not a knock on Will Harris. It's just the my perception of things. As far as first-year play-calling struggles, I asked Corey Unlin actually on Tuesday what he felt his biggest struggle has been in the first two weeks of being a coordinator. And, you know, he, he said that the actual calling of the plays itself hasn't been an issue. It's just, you know, they're 0-2, so can look at a lot of different things. So I, I don't know the answer. I, I think you probably are getting some of that. We also don't know how much Matt Patricia is inputting or maybe calling a play here, calling a play there as they go. We just don't, again, know those answers. All we do know is what the production is, and the production is poor. They can't pass rush the passer. They're playing man with corners that can probably at some point play man and could be handle man potentially if there was a pass rush, but it's just not going well. You have linebackers making poor decisions. Just everything on the defense is going very, very badly right now. Other than, you know, maybe some bright spots from, like, Jamie Collins last week. Uh, I, I don't see too much positive right now when you look at the defense. Deron Harmon, I guess, is playing fairly well. But to me, that's about it. Um. Matt, who's at Mish State Matt, asks, when will my annual disappointment end? I mean, I think it just depends what what you're looking for and what you're aiming for. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I would say still it's somewhat early in the season and you could maybe see a change. But I, have, I also haven't seen anything from the last five quarters of football 
to to tell me that. Now, if they get Kenny Holiday back, maybe the offense is able to carry a little bit more of the load and make up for some poor defensive play. Maybe they get Desmond Trufant back and some other players back that have been hurt on their defense. That can help there. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's up to you, Matt. I'll be... I'll be blunt with you. I think that's your call at the end of the day. DC Waz, who's at DC Waz, asks, if things continue to go totally off the rails, what's the earliest you can see Sheila Ford Hamp terminating the employment of Quinn and or Patricia? You know, I I don't know. I, I think the COVID situation muddies it a little bit. But I think if they don't win the next two weeks... Sheila Ford Hamp has a very difficult decision to make during the bye because you wanted to see meaningful football in December. That was one of the kind of tent poles that was brought up when you kept these guys. And at 0-4, it's a long road to get to meaningful football in December, even with that extra playoff spot because the four games you've lost have all been NFC games, so that will hurt your tiebreaker situation. It will be to Arizona, New Orleans, Green Bay, and Chicago. All four of those teams, theoretically right now, look like they could end up being playoff teams. I happen to think Arizona is real good. And if you end up in a wild card situation, somehow, some way, you might lose out on those tiebreakers if you're 0-4. So I, I just see the path to meaningful football being very, very hard at that point. Plus, you had another tentpole was improvement. And I think right now, when you watch this team, There's not much you can say that they have improved on, certainly from this point a year ago, because don't forget, at this point a year ago, people thought they were actually a pretty decent team, and then the wheels fell off after they played at Green Bay a year ago. Now, who knows? Maybe the wheels come back on because they lost at Green Bay again in a much different situation, but nothing I've seen gives me that indication. So all of that said, I think that if they do lose the next two weeks, that it will... It will put Sheila Fordham in a position to make a decision. And then if she decides to keep them at that point and things continue to go south or stay static, then maybe you look at Thanksgiving as a decision-making point because you have the extra little bit of time there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you are Matt Patricia right now and you are Bob Quinn, you know you're probably coaching for your jobs here over the next few weeks based off of what the metrics were to get you back for this season to begin with. Brooks Hitchcock, who's at BM Hitchcock, asks, everything is fine. Is everything fine? It's fine, right? Um, sure, it's all fine. I'm thinking of the, the good place where that opening scene, if you have watched that show, is everything is fine. You know, they're dead in the show, like... They've died, but that's the thing is everything is fine. And, you know, if you're the Lions right now, everything is not fine. Nothing is fine, except for your punter, by the way. Your punter, very good. Uh, Other than that, and some of your offensive line play, actually, pretty good. And some of your running backs handling themselves okay. But a lot of things are not fine. So, Brooks, if you're talking about the Lions, not so much fine, If you're talking about other things in life, I hope everything is going fine, if not better than fine, for you. Antonio, who's at Magnificentonivus. Sure, sorry, I probably butchered that. 
Got two questions. Can you explain why Julian Okwara was a healthy scratch? Is there any reason Obushi started over Stenberg? Okay, those are both fair questions. The first one, it comes to Julian Okwara. The reason that they basically gave was that they had issues at other spots and they needed those roster spots, which I get because the Lions have been incredibly beat up. Now, I think that defensive end edge rusher is already a pretty thin spot for Detroit. So I was surprised not to see Julian O'Quara up. It didn't make a ton of sense to me. But you also look at what they were dealing with at cornerback depth, what they were dealing with a little bit on the offensive line with two starters out, that you have to maybe carry some extra guys. But, of course, you've got injured guys there, too, that can fill in. So I don't really know. I mean, I think that Julian O'Quara is a guy that can do a little bit for you. I don't think he can do a ton for you. Do I think that you can use him on the field at some point because he does play some special teams as well? Yeah, probably. Um, we'll, I think, get a better idea this week if he's a healthy scratch again. Then I think there's a little bit more of a question of what's really going on there, especially since he's a third-round pick. But this early in the season, I don't totally read into it, although the defense can use all the help they can get just because this sometimes happens early in the year, especially with a rookie and – if you're more of a special teams guy, sometimes those just happen numbers-wise. Now, again, was a little bit surprised to see that. As far as Abushi starting over Logan Stenberg, that does not surprise me. If anything, I was surprised that Abushi started over Kenny Wiggins. Uh, Logan Stenberg, I just don't think, is ready yet. And that's not a knock on him. Not every draft pick is supposed to be ready out the gate day one, especially when you have the offseason that you had. Like, especially when you're a day three pick. And remember, Logan Stenberg is a day three pick. It's not like this is week 14, 15, 16, 17. You're absolutely playing out the string at this point. This is still week two. You're still competing. You're still in everything technically uh, and and realistically. So to throw Logan Stenberg out there as a rookie would not be fair to Logan Stenberg. It would not be fair to Matthew Stafford. It probably wouldn't be fair to Taylor Decker and Frank Ragnow, who would have to help him a lot. It just, I think it wouldn't be fair to the running backs. You're putting him out there in a position I don't think he's ready for yet, especially when you have two veterans who have a lot of experience that you can, in many ways, count on in some ways or another. Yeah, Ode Abushay had a couple of really bad penalties, but I understand why they would make that decision. I don't criticize that decision at all, especially if you think that Logan Stenberg just isn't there yet. And there's no reason to think that he is there yet, considering he worked with the second team all of camp. And not everybody can be a Jonah Jackson or a Larry Warford that steps in right away. It just happens sometimes that guys need time to develop. Benjamin Pritchard, who's at Benjamin Pritchard, asks, talk to me about man defense. I'm not sure what you want to know other than the Lions still play a lot of it. And because I try to do what I can, I, I look this up for you. And this is courtesy of our friends over at ESPN Stats and Information. You should go check them out. And if you are on Twitter, which you are, if I'm answering your question, it's mailbag. You should follow them over at ESPN Stats and Info. The Lions, once again last week, had the highest number of, highest percentage of man defense in playing 81.8% of man against the Green Bay Packers. And obviously that did not go particularly well. And they played, based off of how I'm reading this, 18.2% of zone 
at that point. And, you know, neither one of those obviously went well, but they primarily played man when you had a rookie out there making his first ever start and his first ever snaps. And that to me just is not a great scenario. But listen, you know, Matt Patricia is going to do what Matt Patricia is going to do, I think. And I think we all realize that like he's he's not going to go so far away from his principles anymore, even though it's not necessarily his defense. It's Corey Lundland's defense. But I mean, that's just what they are right now. They are the highest rated, highest man percentage team in the NFL. And it's not even close. There's only two teams in the NFL over 75 percent man. Those are the Dolphins and the Lions. So it shouldn't surprise you either because guess who comes in at number five? That's the Patriots at 63.2%. And both Brian Flores and Matt Patricia slash Corey Undlin come from that tree of man defense from Bill Belichick. And even more so with Undlin, the place he was last year in Philadelphia, which is run by Jim Schwartz defensively, they are number four in total man defense and defensive dropbacks. So, not surprised considering the influences there that they would be primarily a man team still, but that's just kind of, I think, what they are, and you just got to gotta accept it. So that is a little talk about man defense. Gar, who's at Gar Johnson 1, asked, do the Lions have any talent for the next regime to build with? Should they draft a quarterback next year? Okay, so a couple things, right? I think that's unfair because I think the Lions do have a decent amount of talent. That wasn't a lie that... I was saying when I was saying that I felt like, especially offensively, they have some real talent they can build on. I think Kenny Galladay is a high-level wide receiver. I think TJ Hawkinson, you're starting to see week after week as a bright spot. Frank Ragnow might be one of the best centers in the NFL. I think Taylor Decker is quite good. I think Joe Dahl gives you something as an average NFL player, and you need some of those guys. What you're seeing a little bit from Kerryon Johnson and from DeAndre Swift is good potential. Maybe even something of what you've seen from Quintez Cephas. I know you haven't seen Jamal Agnew much in games as a receiver, but I think there's some potential to build on there. And that's all on offense. Defensively, I think you have to look a little bit harder, but I think Amani Awarie and Jeff Okuda both have that type of talent. I'm really high on Tracy Walker, as anyone who's listened to this podcast for any episode of the last few weeks knows. I'm still pretty high on him, and I think you can build around him. Trey Flowers is still young enough you can build around, and I think he's a pretty good pass rusher. Julian O'Quara is a guy they just drafted. You can build around him in theory as well. So I think that there are pieces there that you can build on if you're going to take a complete rebuild and say, hey, listen, like this might stink for a couple of years, but you know, we're gonna find the right people and bring them in. Like that's that's I think you have to how you have to sell some of this. Uh and as far as a quarterback goes I think if there's a regime change, then I think that they absolutely should draft a quarterback because even if you're going to keep Matthew Stafford, at this point it would be Matthew Stafford's fourth head coach and, you know, it just hasn't really worked. And I think it could be, you know, you kind of make a decision and you look at things there. Now, Matthew Stafford may want to leave too. Who knows? I mean, he's he plays these things very close to the vest, but... You know, and there's still so much season left to go. A month from now, who knows? Maybe they win on Sunday. Maybe they win next week too, and and it's a completely different story at the bye. But, I mean, I, I think if there is a regime change, you have to there, think very heavily about taking a quarterback if there is one that you see that you want. M80 dash, or sorry, M80 underscore 32, who's at the D Rocks 1280. 
asks, we have a good defense that can put up points on anyone. We just can't seem to stop the other team from scoring. What can slash should the Lions have done to address this? I mean, it starts at the pass rush. Like, that's, that's the first thing. Right out of the gate is pass rush. Like, the Lions did not do a good job addressing that, I felt, in the offseason. I have been screaming that from the rooftops for really a lot of Bob Quinn's regime. They just, it's not something it seems like they prioritize uh, is getting talent on the defensive line that is potentially explosive pass rushers. Sure, they have Trey Flowers, they drafted Julian Aquara, but it's just not enough. And I think anyone who's watched them has seen that. So I think that that's what they should have done was they really should have looked at the defensive line more, maybe invested more there. I mean, you had a lot of cap space. And we don't know whether they made a real run at Jadavian Clowney or at Everson Griffin, but both of those guys would be guys who could really fit well in this defense pretty early on. I think that you could have bookended them with Trey Flowers, and it would have worked out really, really well for you as a defense as far as getting pressure, especially if you're not going to want to blitz often, and that's not something that's a tenant necessarily of a Matt Patricia defense is blitzing all that much. So those you add that second potential high-level pass rusher that takes pressure off of Trey Flowers and double teams away from Trey Flowers, and it also gives you what so many good NFL teams and NFL defenses have right now, which is options on both sides of the defensive front to blitz from. And the Lions just honestly don't have that at that same level that some other teams do, and they could have added that. So that's one area I would have looked at, but who knows, maybe Clowney or Griffin would not have been interested. Although, you know, money talks and the Lions had a good amount of it. But, you know, that's that's a tough thing there too. Um, I still think that they have some potential there at linebacker, again, with Jamie Collins. And once Julian O'Quara does end up getting on the field a little bit more, again, I think he's going to be a pretty darn good player or has the potential to be. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think they could have easily done more to handle that. I can't fault them for what they've done in the secondary. Sure, you don't trade Darius Slay. I I think we all know that at this point. Like, that, from a talent perspective, that seemed like a mistake. That's not necessarily a knock on Desmond Trufant, who they signed to replace him, but Desmond Trufant has been hurt. And, you know, who knows when he's going to get back. Justin Coleman being hurt does hurt this team. I think he showed that he was playing pretty well in week one. Really, before everything fell apart last year. I thought he was handling himself pretty well in the slot. They did draft corner number three overall, so they did pay some attention to the back end, and they seem to really like their safeties the way they talk about them. As I've said, I think that they're making a mistake with some of the safety situations that they're playing, and don't forget, J. Ron Curse is suspended for another few days at least, so he'll be back theoretically if they want him back in week four, and I would imagine considering his length and his ability to kind of move around and maybe be a third safety, you would want him back as soon as possible and get him on the field. So I think in the secondary, they did address some things, trading for Deron Harmon, but maybe you don't have to trade for Deron Harmon if you don't trade to Quandre Diggs last year. So there's that too, and Quandre Diggs obviously playing fairly well in Seattle so far. So I think that they tried to do some things, but it wasn't nearly enough, I think, particularly in that front seven area to really make much of a of a huge difference. Danny Shelton's been okay, I guess. And again, Jamie Collins, I think, has been a bright spot on the defense, but it's it's tough to sometimes figure out those bright spots. Same thing with Reggie Ragland, I think, has shown some potential as well. And we'll see what that ha- means for Jared Davis here going forward as well. 
Jason M., who's at GQ Jason, asks, as a reporter covering this team, do you ever get frustrated, lose interest in the team as they continue to lose week after week, year after year? So it's funny. I actually talked to my dad about this because my dad saw your question. Uh, for whatever reason, it popped up on Twitter or maybe it was in a Facebook comment that someone else asked me this. And he, he asked me that question. And my dad's followed my career for as long as I've been doing this. And I've covered high-level football, whether it's college or the NFL, for... I think it's 15 or 16. I think this is my 16th season. I covered Notre Dame for four seasons. I covered Michigan for four seasons. And now this is season eight covering the Lions. So 16 seasons covering high-level football. I think I've covered two teams that I would legitimately call good in that time frame. And that's the 2014 Lions team, which I think was legitimately a good football team. And... Then the 2005 Notre Dame team I thought was pretty good as well. That was the team that lost to Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart in the Bush push and then struggled with Ohio State but didn't get completely blown out really until the end. That team, I think, had a lot of talent and was pretty good. That was Charlie Weiss's first season. Other than that, I've covered a lot of mediocre football to, to not great football. I think the 2016 playoff team had definitive flaws with the Lions. The 2006 Notre Dame team... I mean, was a John L. Smith meltdown away from, non-meltdown away from being nowhere near a BCS Bowl, and then Jamarcus Russell absolutely embarrassed them in the Sugar Bowl that year. I think that team has had a lot of flaws and a lot of issues. Uh, Brady Hoke's first team at Michigan that ended up winning the Sugar Bowl with Denard Robinson had a lot of flaws, a lot of a lot of holes, frankly. That yeah, I mean, I've just covered a lot of mediocre football. To me, it doesn't necessarily matter. I, it, it's I don't root for the team ever. Uh, we've I've talked about that on prior podcasts, on radio interviews, when people ask on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty open with that. Like that's not part of my gig. My job is to chronicle what they do and to ask questions and to get answers for the fans, which I try to do. Even though some fans uh, on some podcasts, other podcasts, and other places like on Twitter don't always seem to like me doing that, uh, that's, that's what I'm doing or, or how I do it. That's what I do. And so it doesn't get frustrating from that aspect because there's always a story to tell. There's always another story. There's always a job. There's always a storyline and it's just following that and, and doing that and trying to tell different and interesting stories along the way. I mean, I'll be honest in that when a team is losing, guys are less willing to talk and it's harder to find stories that are potentially different and interesting, but it's a different type of story that you're telling at that point anyway, as you saw last year, as I think you're probably starting to potentially see this year. It's just a different type of story you're telling. So, no, I wouldn't say I get frustrated or lose interest. I mean, this is what I get paid to do. So I don't lose interest. Uh, just sometimes the job and the type of story, I think, changes depending on the season. And I mean, I just don't have a lot of experience covering good football. So I can't tell you what covering a really great team would be like, because it's, it's been a while since I've had to do that. Um, I'm fortunate at ESPN. They let me cover some other stuff too. So I do cover some UFC. I cover some boxing. I do some other things here and there that I'm grateful to get to do. And that also mixes it up a little bit, but yeah, it's not frustrating. Uh, it's just kind of what I'm able to do for a living, and I'm grateful to be able to tell 
you know, tell awesome stories like the Armani Bryant story that I got to tell last month. Uh, I've got a couple of stories coming up here, including one running today and then one that's uh, supposed to run next week that I've been working on for a long time that I'm pretty, pretty excited about. And it's just finding those stories that, that maybe you don't know about and, and being able to bring those to you. Uh, that's, that's what I enjoy most about this business. And also getting to just talk to interesting people. Um, that's what I enjoy about this business to begin with. It has no, has never really been about the team that I cover in almost any way. Um, Jason Bush, who's at Jason Bush, 2006 asks, 2006 asks, why is the front seven so bad? The rest of the team is solid. I mean, I would disagree with that assessment. I think the secondary is beat up right now due to injuries, but I wouldn't say that they are, are solid necessarily. I think they have some questions there, particularly at the number two corner position. Uh, that's that's a concern. But listen, the front seven is the clear weakness of this team right now. I don't think there's any question about that. The offense has at least talent at every position that you look at. TJ Hawkinson, talented. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, talented. And I think their bench players are, are talented for guys in those roles. Uh, quarterback, Matthew Stafford's a talented quarterback, even if he's not playing particularly well. I think they're running backs. They actually, I think, have a good running back room. And offensive line, like we talked about, I think that there is talent there, particularly at center and at left tackle. So I think the front seven's just bad because it's been a weird investment in them, uh, particularly in the front four, as we were talking about before. I'm not sure why the linebackers are struggling. Like, they are, whether that's a schematic thing or a read thing. Like I said, I'll be curious to see what they do with Jared Davis's playing time going forward. Uh, I'll be curious to see how they continue to use Jamie Collins and what they maybe do in some other spots with some other players as things go here. Uh, but yeah, that front seven is is a major hindrance for them, and that that kills them because they can't stop the run that way. You saw it over and over again against the Bears and against the Packers, and we saw it last year too. That And when you can't do that, that makes things so difficult when you can't stop the run and you can't get a good pass rush for the back, for the secondary, and it all kind of unravels from there. And then if your defense is not playing well, that puts more pressure on your offense, and you kind of just see how everything can unravel from there if you have one part of a team that's just really, really struggling, which the front seven is really struggling right now. Um, Matthew Joseph, who's at Fozaire1991, asks, will they ever generate a consistent pass rush? I mean, I think we just talked about that, but I think at some point they will. Um, I don't know when that's going to be, but at some point, uh, it has certainly not been a hallmark of the Matt Patricia tenure. Uh, I think they need to find ways to get Trey Flowers in one-on-one matchups, and I think they need to find ways to to be able to get maybe some blitzes home. I think they've they've shown a little bit more willingness to to send guys. I mean, you look at their quarterback hits, and there are not many, but only one of their quarterback hits, I think it's six quarterback hits, uh, comes actually from a defensive lineman. So that shows they're at least bringing some sort of attempt at pressure it's just not working sometimes they've been close and listen Aaron Rodgers is awesome with his feet and he can make guys look silly like that but you know we'll see how it goes I don't think this week's going to be uh any easier to do that when you're facing Kyler Murray and then you've got Drew Brees whose footwork is incredibly good as well 
So it, it's not an easy situation. To me, if Matt Patricia is still the head coach after the bye, I'd be really curious to see what they do against Jacksonville because I think Gardner Minshew's the first quarterback they're facing that maybe they can really take advantage of that. But, of course, they could have theoretically done it in week one as well. And they did for a little while against Mitchell Trubisky, but they didn't get the, the pass rush that they needed. They actually had pretty decent coverage in the secondary, but just that pass rush just wasn't wasn't there. Monty White, who's at Tay White 1. Considering the success that Patricia had as the Patriots defensive coordinator, is it safe to say that Belichick ran his own defense and Patricia was D.C. in name only? Is it safe to say that the defense should have at least moderately improved by now with him at the helm? So the first question, I I don't know the answer to that. I don't cover the Patriots. Uh, My understanding is that Matt Patricia did call the defense, that he did have a heavy say in that. uh, And he was really lauded while he was there. And you know, I, there are there are some guys who are just not cut out to be head coaches, that they're good coordinators and just can't be good head coaches. I think Scott Linehan is a good example of that as far as when you're looking at Lions coaches. I mean, honestly, I mean, may he rest in peace. And I think I've talked about him on the podcast before because he's one of my favorite people that I've ever met as we we're talking about interesting people a couple of questions ago and, and how that's just a really cool part of the job. Gunther Cunningham is was one of the most interesting people I've ever met, one of my favorite people I've ever I've ever covered that I've gotten to know once I didn't cover him on a day-to-day basis anymore. Uh, and even when I did cover him, I, I really liked him. I liked having conversations with him, but I got to know him a little bit more after uh, he left the Lions. And that's a guy right there who, as a head coach, it just didn't really work. But as a coordinator, he was a genius. He's brilliant. And that, I think that there are just some guys who are like that. The defense should have gotten better. There's no doubt. The defense has been stagnant or worse every year. And it's a shame for Matthew Stafford in the offense. Now, granted, the offense is not playing well this year, but you think of if they had been playing at the level they were playing at last year, I mean, sure, maybe that happens with Kenny Galladay, but that defense is such a liability at the moment that it hurts him. And you look at it, like we were talking about good teams before, right? To me, the one time that Matt, that the Lions had a really great defense was 2014. And again, I think it's the best Lions team I've covered, and it's not even close. And that offense was a problem that year. It just wasn't being as productive or as effective as it needed to be to be successful, to, to be that next, that top echelon team. The defense was absolutely there. That was an elite defense, save for really the last drive of the season. That was a, a high, high level defense. And Matthew Stafford's never had a defense like that again. And you wonder if in 2017, if 2018, even last year before the injury, if he had that type of defense, if things would have gone differently. And that's part of why they hired Matt Patricia was because of that defensive acumen. And it just never, it just hasn't to this point come together. We're going to take two more questions here. One from JJ Collins, who's at big, big bad JJ Collins. What do you think is the reason for 50 years of consistent ineptitude, thoughts, nepotism, poor hiring process, prolonged commitments to underperforming leadership, history of acquiring talents to specific schemes who are then obsolete with a new regime, frequent turnover, which causes alliance regime to draft to win now as opposed to taking best available talent? They're just cursed and they suck. So I think it's almost all of them. I, I don't necessarily think the I don't believe in the, the last thing, the cursed thing. Uh, I, that, sorry, I just... 
I don't buy that. I don't believe it. Um, especially in a league that's made for parity. I, I, I just think that luck, it can be bad. And, and they've had that, I think, in some instances, in some cases. Uh, but I don't believe in the curse thing. But everything else, sure, I, I think that you can absolutely say that. Especially with how they got here now. And, uh, you know, it's just not... It's been rough all the way around. I don't think there's any question about that. Like, the, as far as the acquiring talent is scheme specific, that's clearly happened with this regime. And we'll see what happens with the next regime. And, you know, I, I'll be curious to see if there is a next regime. You know, let me be very clear there. If there is a next regime, which, of course, at some point there will be one, but if there is one sooner rather than later. I mean, uh, I'll be curious to see how many players stick around because... You saw basically almost a complete overhaul of the locker room from when Jim Caldwell left to when Matt Patricia took over. Some of that had to do with guys just being at the end of their careers. Guys like Glover Quinn, for instance, who just, that was, you know, it was kind of, kind of about it. But I, I look at it and, you know, I, I do wonder how many of these guys that are drafted for this defense specifically, depending on who they bring in, whether they're fits for that defense. And then it starts the whole, the whole way over again. I think it's a little bit easier on offense with skill position guys because talents, talent level is talent. And like Kenny Galladay would be good in any offense as an example. Um, but yeah, I think there are some guys, TJ Hawkinson would be good in any offense as an example, but I think there are some guys that you can absolutely say that about. And that'll be interesting to see how that goes. If there is again, that change, uh, the poor hiring process. Sure. I mean, I think that that's part of it. Uh, you know, I think that they've tried in many instances to hire somebody that they believed in. And remember, when Matt Patricia was hired, it was the Lions got a guy who was coveted. There was interest from the Giants, supposedly. Like, he was he was a guy that people wanted. Like, this was lauded as a good hire. And if you remember, Jim Caldwell was not I, by myself. And I I admit that, that I, I wrote that they – I remember writing – I think it was, like, the day or the day before that, like, if Jim Caldwell is your option – Maybe you should just wait it out and kind of see how it goes. Don't rush this. And they hired Jim Caldwell. And I'll be honest, I was wrong. I think Jim Caldwell was a good coach for what they needed at the time, and he got them to a certain level. Then they hired Matt Patricia to take him to a different level, and that backfired horribly at this point. It just it just has, and there's no doubt about that. Uh, as far as nepotism, I think, you, yeah, you, you've seen – I don't want to say you, you've seen that totally because I believe that co- – coaches should hire who they're comfortable and familiar with, especially a first-time head coach early on. I think that's what Matt Patricia did, and I think he's made some changes to kind of move past that. Uh, and people hire in this business at every job and stop hire people they know and hire their friends. So it's tough to say that totally. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of all of the above, man. Like, that's, that's the best way to put it. I mean, obviously, when you look at before the last couple of regimes and, and you look at the Matt Millen era – Yes, that was definitely a prolonged commitment to underperforming leadership. There's no question about that. Russ Thomas, I think you can say similarly that there was a very large loyal basis to William Clay Ford's to William Clay Ford Senior's ownership, and everybody knows that. Everybody understands like he was loyal to a fault, and in a lot of ways, that's a great quality. But when you're trying to put together a winning football team, at some point, that's not a great quality to have anymore. My last question uh, that I'll take is this one is from Keith Alexander at K Alexander 000. I just really liked this question because I get to say this, which is how did it get this bad again? 
And my response to that is that will take a whole other show. And if things keep going as they are so far this season, my guess is we'll have plenty of time to really dig into that. And I might make a complete show out of that question, Keith. Uh, I appreciate the question. It's something I've thought a lot about. And uh, you know, we'll address it at some point here, potentially, if things keep going as they are. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this. Hopefully you got something from it and enjoyed it a little bit. I know we, we probably went a little bit longer than you would expect for a mailbag. We've done that the last couple of weeks. But you all have questions, and I'm doing my best to answer them as best as I can, as many of them as I can, because I do this for you. Part of the reason I do this is for you to be the conduit, as I we were talking about before, for the fans. It's why I ask some of the questions I ask, and it's also why I'm willing to answer as many questions as I possibly can. I want to thank my sponsors, as always, Visa, Indeed, Bet Online, and Regents Field. I want to thank Blue Wire Podcast for hosting this podcast. Follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook, at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And if you can, download, subscribe to the pod. Really appreciate it if you, if you do that. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if, or iTunes if you'd be so kind to do that as well. And we will chat with you tomorrow. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.